All right. All right, Ian, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah. So I don't know where this podcast starts. I'll probably have to rewatch it and figure at some point during our preamble, probably like cut it in there and then suddenly it goes in here. Who knows? That's my problem to deal with. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so we met at um, an event called Fuck Up Nights, which was, uh, are, are, it's, it's such a great event because it focuses on not success stories, but on failure stories. Yeah. That's really what attracted me to it in the sense that like, so many podcasts, magazine articles, <laughs> blog posts, Instagram fucking posts, all this shit is always like, here's how well I did, or here's the success mm-hmm. I had, or here's how I went from, we were an app about checking into buildings, and now we're Instagram with a billion dollar buy-up from Facebook. Like, mm-hmm. they always kind of lack in showing, like, the hard, like, parts. They always talk about the hard work and the raising of the money, but I'm like, raising money? Like, where's this shit coming from? But you yeah. talk about the failure of, like, we tried this. It didn't work. We put our own money in. We lost 80 grand. Like those mm-hmm. are the stories that interest me a lot more in the sense of like, you find out what these people go through on the personal side, whether like it affects like their relationships, their marriages, their family, their own mental health. Mm-hmm. So much of that shit goes into like being part of failure. So you can learn a lot from that kind of shit. And they, they're really inspiring stories from the ones that have heard and they motivated me to like start taking my own journey and pushing myself outside of my own comfort zone too. Like, in these, uh, mm-hmm. these thoughts. Yeah. And the thing about that is, is like a, a common misconception is, you know, like entrepreneurs and the business world tends to be very optimistic. And I think the misunderstanding is that optimism means ignoring negativity, ignoring the scary stuff. When in reality, it's more like despite the negative stuff, despite the mistakes, I'm going to endure, push through it, analyze it, and then continue going through it. It's 99% of the experience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very true. Yeah. So, I mean, like, just because we're on this topic, how'd you get involved with, uh, were, were you volunteering at the event? I think you're, yeah, I'm one of the uh, volunteers. Yeah. I had ran a show five years prior and the month I had like closed my show down after like completing everything I wanted to accomplish with it. Mm-hmm. I still wanted to be involved in events because I was just so like hungry for the microphone and hungry to just use all the skill sets that I built up. So when I went to the show, I was like, this is great. It's really well run. It could always be better. Mm-hmm. Let me give all my assets and skills into this. So I was like, hey, can I be part of this? And just started volunteering from there. So I've been doing it for like two and a half years now. And it's been oh, wow. nearly three years. Is that like since the pretty close to when the Toronto branch like uh, opened up, right? Yeah, yeah. I think I came in like six months after it started up, something like that, six, seven months. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and you, we, we had a bit of a conversation uh, at the event about your... Um, you do a lot, you seem to be kind of an eclectic guy, uh, <laughs> if that's, if that's a good description, which is pretty normal of creatives. Uh, so you do graphic design, you do public speaking, you teach people, you do, we run workshops on presentations and public speaking skills oh, as well, hell. right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, um, I, I call it dual artistry in a sense that like, I'm a creative in the fact that like I create graphics, designs, et cetera. <laughs> and then I also create works of art in another sense of like, whether it be poetry, storytelling, comedy, performance, custom writing. Mm-hmm. And then through both of those crafts, I learned how to like master stages, master pitches, master presentations. And I started teaching workshops, ones to like introduction to like slam poetry to youth, and then mastering pitches and presentations and public speaking to uh, adults or entrepreneurs or artists or other business owners that want to just learn how to take their I've been building this product for five years. How do I condense that down to a three minute? Here's what my product is pitch. Mm-hmm. So it kind of focuses on that. And then just the art of public speaking is such a fantastic skill to have. Like mm-hmm. when I ran my show, it was all youth based and you'd see these like 10th graders come in that like, like, like the most shy, awkward, nervous, nerdy kid in the world. And some of they learn how to dominate a stage and perform to an audience and entertain the crowd and command attention. And you're just going like, wow, that's the kid. Like you never expected. And now they've got 50 people like leaned in, like what, what's he going to say next? Like mind blowing, mm-hmm. you can do with that kind of stuff. And it translates to dating, family, relationships, your ability to do good in jobs, school, whatever it might be through presentations, whatever the fuck, like it's public speaking is a fantastic skill to have and something, uh, definitely a fear worth getting over. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And public speaking, communication, like these things, I mean, that's oftentimes, well, actually I think fundamentally that's what makes us human. And these are things that are not taught in school. So when did you realize that this is something that you really wanted to lean into? Oh man, when I was a kid, I was just a loud mouth, <laughs> fucking class clown, all that kind of stuff. And even just the other day I'd found, um, I think it was my fourth grade report card. It says like, 
Ian is often too excited and he wants to speak out in class and da 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 da. He said, take that and calm himself down. I'm like, fuck that. Are you out of your mind? Like, don't tell any kid to calm down his creativity. Let me have outbursts. Let me entertain. Like, all the things that I am so talented at now and are such an integral part of my personality, these public school teachers are trying to close down, shut down. Please don't do that. Don't disturb. And I understand that to a degree because they have a teaching environment they're trying to maintain, but this is what makes me me and to have them kind of silence that sort of stuff is upsetting and when i'm looking back at this i'm like oh my god it's ridiculous mm -hmm. but yeah it was always from a young age i had this ability to just entertain and speak and it's just something i kind of crafted over the years like being that center of attention commanding attention to not just for my own self for my own ego which is i'm sure a little part of it but to create laughter create smiles create entertainment is always my favorite thing like every given moment is like, how can I make this more fun for everyone else? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's always my thought process. So I guess kind of just kind of paired up with like, the only way to do that is to be the one on the stage, to be the one performing, to be the one telling the story, to be the one with that attention on them. And then I can give them that sweet, sweet joy. <laughs> and was it difficult when you first started or was it always something that's kind of natural to you to enjoy the stage presence? Uh, it was very natural. Like I was just used to, being an entertainer in that sense from a young age and like going to parties would be like the best way to practice anything like that so like you tell a 10-15 minute story that like gets everyone pulled in they want to hear what's going to happen you find ways to like bend the story to your favor where like it has these ups and downs and lows and highs and by the end you're like everyone's laughing their head off that was just essentially development for like how to write performances and how to like condense that down to a either a three-minute pitch presentation or a three-minute slam poem you kind of learn to harness what little elements connect with audiences, what makes them laugh, what makes them go, oh, I've had that experience as well, which kind of gives that whole relation to someone. Mm -hmm. All shit was just practice, essentially, for improving upon that kind of stuff. Yeah. So that's interesting because I find that people who are naturally gifted at a lot of things, they typically have no idea how to teach others to do what they do because it's a lot of unconscious competence. So you mentioned you do teach people how to have these kind of skill sets. And it sounds like it's a lot of kids who are completely on the opposite end of being public speakers. And then they have this experience where they do become it. So like, like, like tell me about that journey. Were you also like born with a gift to teach? Did you have to figure that out? Like how did, that's a good question. How are you able um, to transfer that knowledge? Well, I just, I guess one of the first things you said is like, you do end up with like a lot of kids that are not the kind you'd expect to get on stage. Mm -hmm. And then the opposite end of the kids that are like, the class clown, the entertainer, the one that wants to like focus that energy. Mm -hmm. And you kind of get a bow sense. Like you do have these kids that like can outshine, like they're naturally good speakers. You're like, if you can just tighten this and aim this mm -hmm. in a direction, it's going to be so much better. And then the kids that are, they have something to say, but they're always so reserved, shy, anxiety ridden, whatever it might be. When they kind of learn to get over those fears, one of my favorite quotes from uh, Will Smith, and I'm sure he stole it off someone even better than him was the best things in life on the other side of fear. When you kind of push yourself out of that comfort zone, whatever it might be, you do discover that the best things truly are on the side. I, I keep seeing this example hundreds of times over it through little experiences I have, whether it be like fixing the electrical wiring in this house, it's fucking afraid of getting electrocuted and dying. Didn't die. Totally felt better by the end of it. So it's a little when you push yourself out of your comfort zone, it just makes such a difference. But yeah, with teaching, I just, I guess, had that knack for getting people's attention, right? And storytelling. Mm -hmm. like that. So I would just use that to my advantage where like every time I'm teaching, I'm giving hundreds of real life examples within that. I'm like, hey, one time this happened and here's how it all played out. Whether it's mm -hmm. for the good or for the bad, it kind of shows examples of everything rather than like being so textbook and using case studies or whatever it might've been. It's been a while since I've been in school. I don't remember how they even teach at all. Mm -hmm. But I just found for me, like the best things are always to try it myself Mm -hmm. and learn through that like whether it be using technology and figuring out how an app works or using your voice and figuring out how an audience works it was just kind of pushing yourself into that and giving your shot because everyone's going to suck for the first time everything is terrible your opinion is so much higher of what you should be able to do versus mm -hmm. what you actually can do when you start off and just trying to taking those trials going to open mics hundreds of them shows parties presentations anything you can to like just keep practicing whatever craft it might be juggling the fucking public speaking just takes time mm -hmm. yeah something i like to tell people is if you aim for the ground you'll never miss and That's it's funny because like having no expectations and you have a great time you're like well that was way better than i expected because i expected nothing 
Yeah. And not just that, but half the work is learning how to aim. Mm-hmm. All right. And then, and then if you can hit the ground, it's like, oh, I'll just aim a little higher. But then a lot of times what happens is like, like you said, there's that high expectation of self and the reality is our capabilities are a lot lower than our expectations. Mm-hmm. So, so it's almost like this, we judge ourselves and then we just stop ourselves from starting or actually doing anything. Yeah, that's, that's the hardest part, right? You look at the, instead of looking at step one, you look at step 10, you're like, mm-hmm. oh man, that's going to take me a year and a half to get there. And I don't know what step one through eight or one through nine are going to be. Mm-hmm. These are just quit on it before you even kind of get a sense of what you can possibly do with it. Yeah. So that's really interesting because you're not just like a designer or a communicator. You're also a hyper creative. You mentioned poetry and some of the other artistic works that you're doing and almost well, just about every hyper creative. I know people who are studying the arts and that kind of stuff, they don't do what you're doing. They judge themselves a lot and they produce a lot of great content that they never reveal to the world because they think it's not good enough. I got hundreds of it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So you're not like invent, like uh, unaffected by this issue as well then? No, not at all. Okay. Like just recently on my Instagram, uh, Ian made it. Um, I had taken a bunch of logos that I just never shared with the world and was like, Hey, like, Here's what I made in 2006 for my friend's wedding gift. Here's what I made in 2014 for a small little like studio I, I know mm-hmm. my friend ran. Just wanted to just take a bunch of things I never shared and put them out there just for for the collection of the likes or just to show people like, hey, I'm still a designer. Hey, I can still do this. Here's some things that only five people ever saw. I might as well get a few more eyes on it and just show that like this is something I can do and something I'm very proud of. And these are things that never saw the light of day in a sense, or like they're hanging in my friend's basements in their house and one of their kids see it when they go out and play the arcades. Mm-hmm. So you said 2006. So it took 14 years before you actually put it online and exposed it to yeah. other people. No, 14 joke. years. <laughs> was, uh, yeah, about 2006 yeah. sounds about right. Which is crazy when you put in numbers, right? It's like, oh, 2000, in my mind, 2006 wasn't that long ago. Then I go, wait a second. That was, the, yeah, it's kind of nuts. Um, I'm like literally double the age that I was almost <laughs> since that time. So, so tell me about the experience. Like, uh, what was your attitude like in 2006 with regards to showing this content and what changed or what series of things had to change for you to be open to sharing it now? Hmm. I think when I was younger, I was way more egotistical about whether it be from my own self, how I looked, how I presented myself. And then my work kind of reflected that too. I was like, look at this, I'm the best, I'm the fucking greatest. Look at this amazing thing. Like, look at the logic, look at the wordplay, look at the flow, look at the, all the little things that I thought were like need to be seen. As you get older, as you go past the age of 23, <laughs> you start going, oh, maybe I don't need to be a show off dickhead. Maybe I can create and let people catch at them on their own. Like, oh, I really like the way you connected these two words. Oh, I like the way this logo makes me think of this and connects with the brand, whatever it might be. I just stopped being so pushy about showing them, here's why it's brilliant, here's why I'm the greatest, and just let them find it on their own. And I guess that's the way to deal with, like, also, sometimes they don't see it. They don't go, oh, wow, that's really creative. You're like, okay, fine. Like, not everyone's going to have the positive reaction you're looking for. It's always going to be a change. But what I tell people the most when I'm teaching these classes is, you will want feedback so badly on how you did for your presentation, your poem, your joke, whatever it might be. And most people just go, oh yeah, that was nice. They'll give you a zero reply. That's basically saying nothing at all because they're not getting into the details of it. They're not saying, even if they didn't like it, they'll say, oh, that was nice, lovely, they'll clap, whatever it might be. But finding true feedback is such a difficult thing. So when people do give me like, whether it be negative feedback or a little bit more detail, I always, it sucks to hear sometimes, but I appreciate it a little bit more because then you go, Oh, I see how they're seeing it. I never saw that. So me mm-hmm. from 2006 to me now, I guess just finding a better balance of not being an egotistical show off <laughs> and just trying to be a little bit more um, calm with what I have. But I've got all these creations for a long time that to my mind were very good quality work. So I'm like, you know what? I might as well show them. There was no Instagram back then. There was Facebook was such a brand new item that I didn't have the thought process to like share my design work on there. A portfolio website was something that was so brand new at the time. The only time people saw this stuff was like in the job interview, they'd see it in mm-hmm. pages. Yeah. 
That's interesting. So you mentioned becoming less egotistical. So what were some of the events or mechanisms that reduced your high view of self? (laughs) (laughs) Fucking reality checks. (laughs) You think uh, like, okay, I had a good example. So in my class, I felt like I was maybe in the middle for like design skills, abilities, my grades, et cetera. And then when I went to a job interview, the teacher picked me and the top three guys for this um, one advertising firm in the city of Cassette. <laughs> he sent us down. I was like, wow, like I'm against these guys, like Johnny and Martin and this other dude who I forget the name of. And I was like, I didn't feel like I was in their league, but my <laughs> teacher thought so. We went to the job interview and the way our school prepared us, we all showed the exact same thing. Here's our magazine we worked on. Here's our CD cover we created. Here's our one other third font-based project. I showed those things. Those guys all had the exact same items, but because they were like beyond, they all had like, oh, here's a flash website I created that I didn't have to do for a project, but I did it anyway. Mm-hmm. Oh, here's um, an actual physical product I made of like a little board game. Like they all had a, something extra, and I was just following the template someone handed me. And so when I came out of there, two out of those guys got the gig, got the job. I got nothing, and the other guy ended up getting a spot somewhere else, another agency. And I felt so defeated in the sense that I was like, I thought I was this hot shit. I followed all the templates, all the rules, all the tutorials, and I didn't go beyond. I didn't take that extra step to show like, I really am creative. Here's things I made in my free time. Instead of drinking and playing Smash Brothers with my friends, here's what I created with my design skills. <laughs> that was like a, definitely a reality check of like, oh, I'm not as good as I think I am. And if I'm as good as I think I am, I better fucking go way beyond that and actually show that I do have these insane skills that I seem to think I have. So that was probably the beginning of Mm -hmm. the tumbling of it all. Yeah. So that's really interesting because you actually took that feedback and were humble enough um, to to realize, okay, I am actually not as good as I think I am. And if I want to be as good as I'd like to be, these changes need to happen based on how I lost to these other guys. Yeah, on the other hand, a lot of times people, they don't learn that lesson. They just think, oh, those judges are terrible. I'm actually the best. I'm just going to keep going. Did you? <laughs> so, so like, yeah, like, I've seen that too. <laughs> yeah. And uh, well, a lot of my OCAD friends are kind of like that. <laughs> yeah. You're not going well, to go to OCAD, OCAD you? to school, right? I'd feel like yeah. even more, like, I'm really a fucking artist. I went to OCAD. It cost me even more several grand than your Durham College, which I went to. Yeah. Oh, okay. That probably explains the humility. Because <laughs> you know, a lot of the, the people I know who are in these creative fields, they, they did go to the prestigious schools. And then that, that would, do you think that, the, okay, so my assumption is that because you did go to a very, um, well, compared to, in terms of brand names, a very almost like run-of-the-mill technical school, yeah. do you think that helped with your attitude? Like if you went to a prestigious school with this name of, oh, look how awesome we are because of this, Logo oh, that we God, study yeah. Under. If I went, like, I think about OCAD a lot now. And mm. I'm way beyond, like, being a fucking college student at this point. But I'm like, yeah, like, I would feel very prestigious. And, like, and I talk to OCAD students, and they feel like, oh, I'm not even really an art student. I didn't go to this art school. But I look at it as, like, my program was called advertising. It had design, sales, and marketing. Mm-hmm. I focused on design and got elements of all the other stuff. I essentially graduated with an advertising degree, but I was a focused as a graphic designer. When mm-hmm. I applied there, they didn't even ask for a design portfolio. Every other program that was like OCAD or graphic design at Humber or whatever was like, oh, show us your oil paintings, your statues, your this, your that. I'm like, never painted a thing in my life. I know how to just do layouts, type, photography, book websites, et cetera. I knew design, but I didn't know the true art form of it. So like if I went to OCAD, I would have got eaten up and chewed the fuck out. I would have failed for sure. But luckily mm-hmm. I went to a program that gave me other elements to shine in that I could use my skill sets in. And then I still came out and could focus on graphic design. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Okay. I guess, uh, yeah. It's more humbling to go to a non recognized as an art school in a sense. It's like, Oh, okay. mm-hmm. not that big of an artist deal. Yeah. And now we're like basically like a decade. I'm guessing that you've been graduated for like a decade yeah, almost. I'm 32. So yeah. It yeah. Right was done by like 22 so yeah oh shit 10 years god damn yeah because it's really interesting i'm thinking like okay so in retrospect it seems like that is actually a better experience for not just you but i'm guessing a lot of other students too we get a lot of students that like i'm sure everyone sees this in their programs but from yeah. like 90 kids and then second year down to 60 kids and then by third year down to 30 kids 
people mm-hmm. like, paid for those programs and then their working jobs totally unrelated. Even if they graduated, they didn't end up going to be sales, marketing, or design. Mm-hmm. That kind of stuff a lot. But yeah. yeah so what was the question? No, it's just some thoughts. I don't know. I might oh. edit this out. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, yeah, what happened yeah. to people? <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Okay. Uh, let's see now. So, uh, I don't think we talked about your, no, actually we kind of briefly talked about design. So cause one of the things that I'm really curious in a lot of times people who are involved in hyper creatives, mm-hmm. they can't really do design work. And those who are doing design work, they can't really do the hyper creative stuff. Like it's either one or the other. So where would you fit in that spectrum? Cause you seem to be doing both. I'm, I generate ideas all day long. Like whether it be from little things like wordplay to names of business ideas to events I want to run, to like, a good example was um, two years ago, maybe three years ago actually now, I was going to this event called Moose Man, which is like a a Burning Man-esque, (laughs) Ontario-based festival. Canadian Burning Man, Moose Man. It's a very small, (laughs) 300 people only, in a forest, partying all weekend, but they also offer art grants. So like, Mm -hmm. everyone's drinking, doing drugs, whatever, but you could also build something. So like one year they built a 25 foot tall moose, then they light it on fire. The next year they mm-hmm. built a giant jerry can that had a bar in the middle and a rooftop deck that you could drink on and then they burned it at the end. So they'd come up with creative shit like that. People could do any kind of art exhibit they want throughout the forest. So like one person did a whole camp based on hammocks. They had 15 hammocks out there, mm-hmm. a hammock floating bar, all kinds of shit. I'm like, oh man, I could Hammock floating bar? Floating hammock bar, it was sick. <laughs> I'm having a hard time bringing my mind. Do you have pictures I can like? Oh man, I have no photos. <laughs> it was just I actually wood string on both sides, so like a little bar that was essentially tied up like a hammock into the trees, and they were serving. Okay. Drinks. So they had all kinds of like brilliant stuff like out there in the yeah. forest. I was like, oh, okay, I can create something. And so me and my partner at the time we had come up with a concept called lost wallets, mm-hmm. where essentially when you find a wallet, the first thing you would do is steal all the money out of it and then go oh we should maybe return this wallet to the person to get their stuff back so we wanted to like almost test society of how they would react so we created we bought all these different kinds of wallets and each one was a character so Mm -hmm. a little girl's wallet like an eighth grade girl who has like a list of all of her crushes inside of it and a hair tie and some little like whatever little children have in their wallets we had the gambler's wallet which was like full of poker chips and like the bus card to get to whatever casino and all kinds of stuff like that. And when they had fake money in the mall too. So like if you found mm-hmm. it and you like wanted to take the money or wanted to just see if there's money in it, you'd see a $500 bill or like bills that didn't make any sense or bills that are out of print that I just printed off a computer. Mm-hmm. So each one was this character, those characters, we then like went and lost the wallets in the forest and you could find it and it had an identification of one of my friends. So if you wanted to find it, you could go then like locate that person out of the 300 people there. Mm-hmm. You then would find that person. It was, we got way too complicated. This is way too much to try and do. But we had all the wallets of different characters. You could then find them attached to my friends. They would then say, "You now the game begins. You get a little pin that you could wear that's like stage one. And you have to go do eight other stages. So like this one says, oh, now you have to go find Victor and arm wrestle him. And he'll give you a pin. When you mm-hmm. find Victor, you arm wrestle him. Oh, now you have to go find uh, Courtney and ask her and give her a riddle and whatever it just was this whole thing of like a mind game you could play within this event. Mm-hmm. Not many people could even get to most of that stages. A lot of the wallets, like we would drop them and people, we'd watch people like find them. They'd pick it up like, Oh, it's just too much of a commitment. Like if you're on drugs, the last thing you want to do is try and go find someone at a festival and get them their wallet back. So people would put the wallets back down or they'd give them to the park ranger and stuff who was running the place. So the park ranger is getting calls on his walkies. Like, Oh my God, we've got a lost wallet over here. It belongs to a, a, a Dave O'Hanna. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, is there any money? In it? Yeah, there's some money in it. Uh, how much money is it? There's a, a $1,500 bill inside of this. <laughs> <laughs> and the dude's, because he knew about the whole project. He's losing his mind. He's like, yeah, you guys are playing such good pranks and everyone in a sense. But it was this project of, it was all based off of being at a festival. And this like kid who was just so stoned out of his mind was sitting next to me. And he starts digging through his wallet. And I'm like, imagine this like kid like pulling Doritos out and all this other bizarre shit and like, <laughs> joints out of his wallet. And I was having such a good time just like imagining what like a stoner would have in his wallet. I was like, <laughs> that would be such a cool project. Like what kind of wallets do different people have? Like the traveler, the gambler, the little kid, the artist, 
oh man, there's a whole pile of bunch of got them on my desktop. Let me see what we got in here. But yeah, we created like 15 different character wallets that were then attached to all these games. But yeah, like that was just something creative I wanted to do, and I went and put it into practice. We got a small grant of $50 to buy mm -hmm. the supplies, and I printed almost everything on my computer or my printer at work, so everything was high quality. Yeah. Hey, $50 is like, a lot for art. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mostly you get zero. Yeah. <laughs> but it was such a cool way to like just test another creative element that I came up with. It wasn't graphic design. It wasn't rhyming. It was hmm. just creating this mind game and these characters people. So I was trying to find little ways to do stuff. Okay. So that's interesting because a lot of people, well, I think some of the best artists in this world, they think like that and they probably think on an, another even level but they never implement you actually tested it out and then got the feedback yeah. and, and listened to stuff that happened um so that what what um how do you decide when to act or tell me i, I want to kind of your experience like i'm sure there's a lot of ideas that you kind of got crippled with and never acted on and then some of the ideas where you did like tell me about that experience like what are the elements involved in you acting upon an idea versus being crippled by it Oh, that's a good question. Um, I guess sometimes the weight feels too, especially if you're doing the things alone. That's <laughs> always the most difficult. You find this idea that like either is inspired by like an event or a talk or a video you watch. You're like, yes, I want to do exactly this. You get so hyped about it. You start putting in a bit of work and you hit that first roadblock. Maybe you can get over that one. Then you hit two more and then you're like, you know what? Maybe this isn't meant to be or maybe I don't have the the chutzpah to push past this. So a great example would be 2011, I saw a poetry slam for the first time in Toronto. Mm -hmm. The room is 200 people at the Drake Hotel. It's packed. It's these beautiful storytellers. Everything about it, I was like, it's rhyming, it's stories, it's people paying attention, people giving a fuck, and it's in Toronto, and I loved it. I went home the next day, I was like, I'm gonna do exactly this for York Region, where I lived at the time. Mm -hmm. I went and met with like people that ran that show. I found out exactly how to run it, what the background is, how to get involved, whatever it needs to be, so I can do my own variation of it. And I thought I'd have the same success. I thought I'd put 100 people in a room to listen intently to a bunch of people tell stories. I called a bunch of, I got my one other friend involved. He's like, yeah, like he's a musician, so I've got at least some of those can like entertain as well, as long as, as well with me. And I would host it and I'd have all my friends come and I thought all these things were gonna happen. I called up, three or four bars. I'm like, hey, mm -hmm. I'm looking to bring a poetry slam show to your bar. What do you think? They're like, what the fuck is a poetry slam? I was like, oh man, it's this new form of entertainment where storytelling and battle and competition and judges and drinking and fun and da 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 and wordplay. They're like, no, unless it's a guitar and a person singing fucking Dave Matthew cover songs, we don't want it. I'm like, cool, perfect. Click, help the next bar. I want to bring the most epic comedy storytelling entertainment show to your bar. What is it? It's a poetry slam. No, thank you. Click. I'm like, oh my God. Okay. That's two. All right. Let me call another one. Third bar. He knew what a poetry slam was. I'm like, yes. Okay, my man. This is perfect. You think your manager would be interested in having this? He's like, not at all. I'm like, why? <laughs> because we have music. That's what, we, that's what people put in bars. They put musicians for you to talk over while you get drunk, play pool, and ramble on about whose fucking cigarettes you're going to borrow. That was like the equation of most bars, and they mm -hmm. didn't want to add in something that was going to require intense, er, intense listening or just mm -hmm. requiring you to not chat while you're in this location. So every bar turned it down, and my excitement for it just really faded out. And I was like, damn, that was, I had like done all the design work, I created the mm -hmm. name, branding, I was doing all the stuff that was like the fun part for me, and I was just having no success in finding a venue. And my other partner that was involved, he had was losing his steam for it as well. One year later, I'm at an event and this guy stands up, he's like, hey, um, I'm starting a poetry slam in York region, in Unionville, called York Slam. And that was one year to the date of like when I had started, tried to start it myself and mine had failed. I'm like, I went to him like, yes, I'm on board. I tried to do this a year ago. I couldn't get any success. How are you doing this? He's like, well, I've got a history of building shows already. I know exactly the scene, I'm from the area, da da da. He got it off the ground and running and I joined up and eventually I became the artistic director and ran that show. Mm -hmm. But I had just seen all these roadblocks and it just wore me down because I was just by myself and made it so much more difficult. So when you've got other people like a team, like he had three other people, he then mm -hmm. had me who was already impassioned by this. It just kept growing. And you've got the people to help like 
just keep that drive going for someone to talk to and bounce the ideas off of. When it's all in your head, it's so easy to get caught up or stopped or blocked or whatever it might be. So having a team of people, even with just one other person, is such a benefit at times to go from that product that is in your head to something that exists. Mm -hmm. That reminds me of that. Um, it's quoted on the internet as an African proverb, which is um, kind of stupid because Africa is a really big place. <laughs> um, it's if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. Mm. Mm. Damn. It's good. Yeah. It's very good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, fast and alone. I don't know. I can see that to some things. <laughs> Less distraction. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, let's see now. Anything else that you want to talk about that we haven't talked about yet? I guess for, like you said, it's people looking to come out of their nine to five and then get into their own work for themselves. I can talk to that experience a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Cool. So, I guess two years ago, in my job, I was feeling defeated. My, my give a fuck level was gone. I stopped caring. I used to always be the guy who would fight with designer or fight with the, like the, the salespeople fight with anyone I could to like make sure a design gets pushed through the way it should be or the way I felt it was the strength of it. And that was like what I'd done for years. Like I would always like defend or argue my point of like why something is good. And then a point hit where everything I was creating was just getting rejected constantly by my, my clients, whether it be mm -hmm. my own personal clients I had at home, my own um, freelance business, and then the clients I had in my nine to five job at work. These two particular men were just these very difficult to please and they could never describe what they wanted. So everything was a shot in the dark. So I, I, I don't know what I want, but somehow I know what I don't want. And what I don't want is every direction that you're giving me. Yeah. They wouldn't give any, any hint. Like you'd say, well, would more bold help? Blue help? They would just describe feelings, emotions, mm -hmm. emotions of cities, because these were like city-based condo projects. He would describe to me Detroit being a very flowery city. And you know how Detroit is flowers and Detroit is, I'm like, these are not things. No. Detroit, the Detroit is like rock and roll, <laughs> hip hop legends. Like, all the things about Detroit flowers were the least on my mind. So he would ask for 3D flower based logos that are originally never seen before drawn fonts. I'm like, oh my God, this is gonna be so difficult. And they I want a 3D logo with never before drawn fonts. Yes. What is that even? Okay. Most designers, you grab fonts and then you could like <laughs> use a font as your base yeah. and you could adjust little things to it to make it more unique. But he's like, they all have to be never before seen hand drawn. I'm like, I don't know how to draw a font. <laughs> I can manipulate them, but I can't create fresh. And they weren't like company names, like usual condo names are four or five, six letters. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to name any for my old company, but they're always very short and simple. This guy's company names were seven words. City okay. Apartments, Cincinnati, CBD, Detroit, okay, da, 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 like they were long-winded. So like, instead of being a small, simple logo, element. So it'd be like the Cincinnati third degree CBD infused apartment condo complex. Yeah, CBD society. is the business district. <laughs> they were just long-winded. So like long-winded titles made it even more difficult. Everything I made with this guy, essentially what it came down to was, it was like shooting a basketball all day. Like my yeah. entire job was being a fucking basketball player and every shot I took never went in. I'd always hit the rim and it would bounce and then miss. Oh, mm -hmm. when I finally get one in, it was because of like the wind took it and a bird hit the ball and it went in by chance. That was when I'd finally get a win like eight months into the development of something. So it was very difficult and it just made me feel like more like I'm not the designer I think I am. I'm not the creative I, I, I felt like I've been my entire life. I've now been in this career for 10 years and I can't get a simple logo approved by a lunatic. Then to go home in my freelance job and have the exact same experience, I was like, man, this is like, all of my money is coming from two people and those people don't like anything I make. So I'm like, why are they even having me do this? Like, why are they torturing me? And so it just wore me down. I stopped giving a fuck. I disagreed to whatever people said. They're like, we want it like this. I'm like, that sounds terrible. Here you go. I don't <laughs> care. You can have anything you say. We want a piece of shit on the brochure cover. 
actually was something I had to create at one point for someone. Mm -hmm. Actual piece of alligator shit on a brochure cover. That's hilarious. Yeah, ridiculous, ridiculous. <laughs> That's what my design came down to a fucking circus of nonsense. <laughs> but I was getting, I was getting worn out by it, and and I was being at, at one of the fuck up night shows. Someone just was describing um, what burnout is, and when I looked at the definitions of like the four facts of like burnout is these things, I was like, check, 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 check. Oh my god, I'm burnt out, and part of my mind kept saying. You can go through way worse. You could handle so much more horrible. You could do another three years of a bad, bad time. But why? Why put yourself through that? Why let yourself get through that? I, I was already having a horrible time. I was not enjoying my life. And so I decided to leave. I went and told them, I'm done. I already have a, a business doing this at home. I could do this. I could still generate money from design. Mm -hmm. And I've got a secondary career built out of public speaking and running workshops and hosting events and this whole other skill set that is effortless, completely effortless for me to get on a stage and entertain people. It takes very little preparation. I've already had all the years of practice, whereas like graphic design is lots of preparation, lots of attempts, lots of trying, and then it comes down to someone going, I don't like the color yellow, so this is a piece of shit. When I speak publicly, you can only judge it on the spot. And in the end, like your overall feeling is what you based mm -hmm. on, not every word I said at the very moment. So I was like, okay, like I'd rather focus on something that makes me feel like a million dollars versus something that makes me feel like an asshole. And so I started then focusing on that and that becomes a whole nother journey of where do you find money in these fields? Like mm -hmm. I was doing it to like the tune of like maybe $5,000 in a year created from public speaking. Well, now I have to make $50,000 public speaking to have like a comfortable lifestyle. Mm -hmm. That's going to be a lot more difficult. So I went from this leaving my job and being on this high of like, I started doing work on this podcast. And the first interview I did was with my favorite rapper ever. And I flew to British Columbia and spoke to him and recorded him and got to go into his house. And it was just all these like, wow, everything feels amazing. Leaving my job is the best decision ever. Mm -hmm. And then two months later, you're like, oh man, there's very few projects coming in. Everything is slowing down because it's January. The money is not as good suddenly. What the fuck was I thinking? Should I go back to my job? No, mm -hmm. that crushed my heart, broke my feelings, made me super sad about design. You have to then find other elements to kind of get joy. So some of the things I started doing were projects for myself, little creative projects that were, I'm the client, I'm the creative. So mm -hmm. I made lots of uh, live edge shelves. My, I can't see them in the video, but they're my apartments covered in live edge shelves. Oh, really? And then selling them for people as well. Yeah. Doing woodworking was a tangible product. Instead of a logo being something you create physically and goes on a website, making something with my hands is tangible. And like when there was fuck ups on it that I could see, I'm like, only I matter. Like mm -hmm. I'm, the, I'm the person who receives it at the end. And if that little scratch doesn't bother me, then it doesn't fucking matter. So I was learning a new skill set. Mm -hmm. And that became way more joy filled than what graphic design had been giving me in the last little while. Mm -hmm. Doing little projects like that to just reinvoke your creativity and like, you could like the wallets. I made food faces. So I'd rearrange my food onto a plate, take a photo and post on Instagram. It took 10 minutes of work. And it was like the best part of my day some days because it was just this outburst of creativity that was then getting immediate feedback. Mm -hmm. So finding little ways to do that was just making such a difference. But yeah, the, the journey is difficult when you go from guaranteed money to clients will pay me three months late. I'm dealing with mm -hmm. a client right now that I should have been paid three months ago. Like, <laughs> Three months is a long time to not get paid. I mean, that's yeah. like... Yeah, that's, that's typical cool. with freelance design. Yeah. Even when I send reminders, they're like, oh, yeah, sorry. Like, some people I'd have to like, physically like, go visit them and be like, hey, you didn't pay me. Like, oh, here, swipe my credit card on your little square app. I'm like, mm -hmm. shouldn't yeah. have had to come all the way out here to do this. Kind of yeah. Stuff. It's crazy because clients are busy too. And some of them are not, like, they're not respectful enough of uh, your needs to mm -hmm. actually just take that time out of their day. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that, that's definitely part of the... The, the headaches too and it's interesting because I, I was thinking as you're describing your, your experience with burnout I was uh, introduces other ideas called rust out and it's like reverse burnout so like if burnout is a lot of the experiences just kind of like going through the grind and then kind of losing your passion or, or or using up too much of your your mental faculties your, or your energy doing something that is just uh until you kind of just you just run out you burn out right rust out is like you're just you're doing that 
but then you need to be doing something else. So you might, so for a lot of creatives, like I need that creative outlet. I need to feel validated that my designs and what I see as aesthetic is actually valued. And then time and time again, this clashes, these well, these lunatics that you described are saying no, 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 no. And it's like, you're still burning out, but it's more like it's a, an inverse. It's your create, the things that you need to do to feel alive, that's not being expressed. And now it's like you're rusting. Hmm. That's really clever. Did you come up with that? No, I didn't come up with it. It's, um, the book's called The Stress Effect that I heard on another uh, podcast. And I thought that's really interesting because those are two elements of the broader category of uh, burnout. But I've never heard of it like that. So would you say it was more of a burnout, like the overwork until you're tired? Or is it more of a rust out for you? It was a, a burnout because the four or five years leading up to that, I was working full time nine to five and then my five to nine of my freelance oh, plus doing yeah. a third thing like all my other free time and weekends were spent running around running events doing shows performing and then being in a relationship having to deal with your and maintaining your, your family and your friends and your girlfriend <clears throat> these six factors were just so much working essentially three jobs and then having three other factors that were important to me just exhausted me i had my free time was just always filled <clears throat> i was always running around I would do something because I'm like, oh, I, we need to go to this concert. We need to go to this part of the U.S. and check out this awesome restaurant. And I was doing so much that like, as soon as I finished, I'm like, what's next? What's next? What's next? Like, there was no appreciation for like that really good meal or that really good show or that really good whatever. Mm -hmm. It was just knocking them down as if they were a checklist of all the 100,000 things I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. You do that for five years straight. Oh man, it, it tires you out. So when I was feeling that burnout, it was because like I had just been doing so much. So I was like, I just need to decompress and calm down and refine myself and find out what matters to me, and what I like, and how we make money doing those things, and see if that's feasible for me, if that's doable. If I can, can I do it on my own, or do I have to be part of someone's company? Do I have the strength to do it on my own accord or not? Mm -hmm. And that's the journey I'm in now. Is can I make the amount of money I want to have for a comfortable lifestyle, creating it all on my own? I have to be the sales, I have to be the accountant, I have to be the designer, I have to be the marketing, I have to be blah, 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 all of it. Versus mm -hmm. if you're a company, you're only one little, one little thing out of the 10 fingers. It's a lot easier for you to just be like, well, I just show up here every day, drink a coffee, take a shit, and do a couple of designs, call it a day. Mm -hmm. You're all of it, you take on way more risk, but there's a greater reward possibly. But mm -hmm. It's difficult. It's a lot of work. So I'm, I'm in that stage of, do I have what it takes? And I'm hoping to find out that I hopefully do. Yeah. Yeah. So when you first started your business, um, how was the registration process like for you? I remember Googling around a lot, finding out like, okay, do I need to do this at all? And after a few like successful years in my business back in the early 2010s or something like that, my account is like, if you go over, I think 30,000, if you make over mm -hmm. 30,000, you better start declaring this money and like getting HST numbers, registering the business, making this more legit. Because if you do that a few times, the, uh, what's the Canadian IRS called? CRA? CRA. CRA is going to come fuck you up <laughs> if you keep getting all this money <laughs> yeah. and telling them, yeah. I ain't making shit. So I was like, okay, time to get legit. I was like, maybe like in my early 20s, I was like, this, I was excited. I was like, yeah, HST numbers. Yeah, registration. A legit business. I'm the first business owner in my family. All this shit felt so like cool to me to get. I remember like paying like what a few dollars, seventy five dollars online to register for your, your company name. Mm -hmm. The Ontario government offers a thing that like you can pay this money and register whatever name you want. You can register Disney, like they'll take your money. Mm -hmm. But they're like, if you want to search to make sure no one else has Disney or Ian made it or Speaker Box or any company name you've got, you have to pay a fee. I was like, I ain't. I'm already paying to register it. I'm not paying another 50 bucks for your search engine. This is ridiculous. I've already looked on Google. I know people don't have this anymore. Not many people have it that it's going to affect me. So mm -hmm. I just paid, registered. They mail you a piece of paper. You've got your business numbers. I'm like, cool. I'm legit. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. It was not as exciting as I thought. Like, There's no ribbon cutting. There's no cheersing with my other employees because it's just me. It's me and a piece of paper at this point. I was like, okay. And you apply for your HST numbers. And then I was really excited about that. They're like, okay, you hold on to the 13% you collect, and then you pay maybe 10%, I think you keep three, or some sort of, I don't even recall the details now. But I was like, yeah, yeah, you got it. So like, I'm holding on to like $4,000 by the end of the year, 
that they suddenly then take. And then they do your taxes and they take another two or three grand. I'm like, that wasn't very exciting. I liked it better when I made 33 grand and kept all of it. And now I've just paid seven grand and went to nothing. I was, I'm going to be official. Here's seven grand. It felt like shit. Mm-hmm. And I never did, a, I, so I'm registered as a, a sole proprietor mm-hmm. without doing a corporation, stuff like that. But then I hear the taxes are even bigger. It's a little bit more complicated. It doesn't seem necessary for the size of my business or what I'm doing, but there was just so much about it that like, it was hard to understand. You had to read lots of articles online to find out mm-hmm. what makes sense for me, what's going to keep me protected. Even a sole proprietorship is no protection at all, really. Like, one no, it's actually kind of scary. And destroy my, not only my business, but they could destroy my personal credit as well and take my own money. So I was like, oh, you can get insurance to protect that. And I thought about getting that when I had this one client that was concerned would eventually sue me. Not because I did something mm-hmm. wrong, but because he had a history of suing people that he got into, into a disagreement with. Like yeah, yeah. I knew I was like, I'm going to be next. This is going to destroy all my money. Mm-hmm. So what was your thought process in selecting your uh, business structure between the corporation and the sole proprietorship? I knew I was just one guy doing this in my house. <laughs> I mm. thought that doesn't feel like a corporation to me. I might as well just be a sole proprietorship. Just okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cause, Cause I'm wondering also, like you mentioned that you're a little bit worried about the, um, the limited liability issues. Cause with a sole proprietorship, like all your personal assets are tied directly to it. And all your yeah. profits are tied to your personal uh, income tax as well. See, I was never even aware yeah. of that first time up. I was just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm one man, sole proprietor, sure. It wasn't until years there, someone's like, oh, like, you're a liability. Like, oh my God. <laughs> Why did I buy this piece of paper then? Why have I been paying taxes? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, did, is that something you changed or are you still sticking with that structure at this time? Still sticking with it currently, but will possibly change in the next few years depending on. I feel like if I break a certain dollar number in a year mm-hmm. and you do that two, three times, then I'd probably consider, okay, this is no longer sole proprietorship. It's over 70 grand. Maybe it should be a corporation. Yeah. So um, part of it would be there's um, the small, there's like a, a certain threshold, like a, where it's like a small business uh, credit where if you make under 500 grand, you're actually saving on the taxes and also with a corporation because it's a separate legal entity. Um, your income is based on what you pay yourself in dividends or as a salary. So whereas with the, your current structure, all your profits are your personal income. So if you made say like 75 grand in, um, in like sales, you'll be taxed at the 75 grand rate. Whereas if you had like a corporation, you could pay yourself say like 22 grand to pay the bills mm-hmm. and then everything else is still in the company and you own the company. So it's all under your name, but you have more room for your accountant to play around. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That, so it's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Things to talk to your, your accountant about to see what works best for you, given your lifestyle goals and where you want to take mm-hmm. the business to. Yeah. And that's that's an, I, need yeah. To, I need to do soon. It's been on my mind of like, mm-hmm. the last guy I dealt with was a complete idiot. He could not give me any help. Oh, the accountant? Ever again with this guy. Yeah. The accountant. <laughs> I've had a few oh, guys that were like, great. They knew like all these like little insights and details. And I changed guys. And the last guy I used, he was just. Not, the guy that did my taxes this year is not a benefit. Yeah, and that's the, thing, the crazy thing I realize is like sometimes it's not about the money; it's who you're working with, mm. right? Because like, because it's like, oh man, it's and you know all about this as a graphic designer. It's like if you go for, especially on service and knowledge based kind of like work, things that require taste and finesse. If you go for the for price, a lot of times you get really hurt by that. It was the lowest price tax man. He had motivational posters on his wall. I'm like, why do you have these? These are embarrassing. He's like, oh, they just they came with the office. I'm like, shouldn't have this shit. Like, no wonder I'm paying yeah. the least amount. I'm paying this guy six cents an hour for this crap. Yeah. He had no useful advice for how to run my company correctly or how to structure it in the logic. Was, was he even operating legally? He was, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. He was the closest to like an H&R block. He was like one of those companies that has like 80 locations and they're like in the back half of a shitty mall or something like that. Oh, yeah. okay. Motivational yeah. questions stapled to the wall. Oh, they're so painful. <laughs> yeah. So that's okay. my <laughs> He's well, the uh, <laughs> Yeah. All right. Uh, anything else uh, you want to talk about? 
Uh, I guess just a, a piece of advice and something I had heard and I really liked and then I did not follow. Now, whoa, two years later, I'm re-following it again. Is you can't move a hundred things at the same time because they'll only go millimeter, centimeter, inch. But you can move one thing 100 inches, 100 meters. Instead of trying to focus on, I want to work on this design project, I want to create this product, I want to launch this website, I need to build this app, and I'm going to do this in my free time and go to Burning Man and climb a mountain, blah, 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 blah. You know, with 10 things that you were only doing little tiny increments to or nothing at all is what I'd seen in myself. I'd be like, I want to do all these, and I did nothing to any of them. Mm -hmm. What I'm now doing is picking just one thing at a time. Technically, I'm doing two and giving them my focus, but they're attached. So it's like right now, the last four weeks, three weeks, I've been building a website. And all these other opportunities come up for a product I wanted to create with this guy for a beer brand. It's like, oh, that sounds fun. I need to finish this one thing because if I start looking at all the other things, I'll start spreading myself thin and never doing anything. So I've been just doing the step by step of this website. I kept looking at step 10 and saying, that looks so far away, it's so difficult. But I would just remind myself that, okay, just do a little bit of work on it today, three hours here, four hours there, three hours there, and just knock it out piece by piece until it's 95% it's done. I'm gonna have it launched like next week for sure. Mm -hmm. And then I can then move on to piece number two. What's the follow-up to that? That's building my workshop classes, the launch online, that's getting the photographer. There's so many little steps that if I look at the top, it's overwhelming. So I'm just trying to keep one step in front of myself at every time. So that way I don't lose my mind and just stop working on me because I feel overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. So if it's working on a project or working, considering working on projects, just try and limit your focus to one at a time, two mm -hmm. at a time. Just look at the little steps and just keep that in mind because if you look at the big picture, it's gonna fucking be too much for you to take in. Mm -hmm. you gotta <laughs> All right, awesome advice. Well, yeah, that, brings us, yeah, that brings us to the end. Thanks for being on the show. Great. Thanks so much, man. Thanks for having cool. me. And if people want to get in contact with you, uh, where can they find you? Uh, IanMadeIt.ca, IanMadeIt on Instagram, and my name is Ian. Thanks for chatting with me. <laughs> and I guess uh, the Speakerbox podcast is also been working on. So, Speakerbox.ca, and yeah, Speakerbox podcast on whatever platform people like to listen to shit on. <laughs>